Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. I am with uh, my worthy constituent, Dr. Murray McCormick, and we are discussing a bit of a new twist to the Rough Rider season, Sunday's 23-8 loss to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, uh, I mean, in some ways there's some good things to talk about in that the special teams played pretty well. Uh, Brett Lowther missed a field goal, which was an event, but also made a 54-yarder. Um, John Ryan continued to send punts into orbit. There's some evidence of return game thanks to Jamal Morrow. Uh, defense played the type of game that uh, will ordinarily win you a game in the Canadian Football League. And the offense played the type of game that uh, probably wouldn't, wouldn't win you a game in the Prairie Football Conference. Um, Murray, what do you make of this? I think that's what I kind of found was react. I thought the reaction from fans was a little over the top, considering you made all they did all those gains in other areas. Jamal Morrow brought some semblance of a return game. The defense did play well. How about can we do this on a, a rider-centered uh, podcast that maybe give the Blue Bombers a little credit? That defensive line, Willie Jefferson and Jeffcoat were just uh, Willie Jefferson is just such a great player that he he can win a game for one defense and. I think he really did a lot of that too. So how about can we give credit to Winnipeg or do we have to always sort of blame the Rough Riders? But I think the oh, Winnipeg off defense in the second half was just dominant. It was, what could Cody Fajardo do? He didn't have any time. Do you blame it on the defense offensive line? Yeah, a little bit, but still I think we've got to give a lot of credit to Winnipeg's defense. I think you'll throw Adam Big Hill there in there in there too in the type of game he had. And uh, Brandon Alexander with two picks. Um uh, Richie Hall's scheme really didn't give the Rough Riders much to work with offensively. So, yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the Winnipeg defense totally influenced what was happening with the Rider offense. It's, you look at that offense, and it's not like there were a, a bunch of evident gaffes. There was a drop pass by Ricardo Lewis. His presence in the lineup still baffles me. Mm-hmm. And there was there was the overthrow when Cody Fajardo had Kyron Moore for what should have been an 80-yard touchdown. Instead, he was overthrown. Um Aside from that, I don't look at it and say they really made a mess of this. Yeah, the the, the first Brandon Alexander interception, uh, obviously Cody Pajardo needs to make a better read there. The, the third interception, you're just trying to make something happen against the defense that's hanging back. I'm not even going to make a big deal about, out of that one. And the, and the, the other interception was a ball that uh, came fluttering out of Cody Pajardo's hands because of the ubiquitous presence of, of Willie Jefferson. So. Yeah. But it's not like the – I think there were fewer evident gaffes by the offense than there were by the officials in the command center. Uh, <laughs> they just the, – the, the Winnipeg defense, as it has been prone to do this year, made life miserable for a, a rival offense. This time it happened to be the Rough Riders that they were playing. And once again, a Winnipeg opponent was held to fewer than 10 points. That's, that's what Winnipeg we, had been doing coming in, and they kept doing that's, it. That's when I talk about the credit to Winnipeg's defense. It, it's the best defense in the league. I think the Riders is pretty darn good, but I don't think it stands up to what Winnipeg is doing right now. And I think Cody, we, we kind of forget. Now, how many games has he played? 19? 20? 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 games? 17, 17 starts in uh, 16 starts plus the playoff, plus one in the playoffs in, in 2019. And then for this, so 21 starts. 21 starts. I guess 21 starts. For a guy who'd never been a starter before, and he's in, not entitled, but maybe expected to have a game, an off game or two that maybe says reminds us that he's still a young, 
relatively oh. young starting quarterback. And we got spoiled last year. We got spoiled the way almost everything he did seemed to go right, except for that one play off the off the crossbar. And, and I'm not going to put it on Cody Fajardo. Um, what did he have to work with? Honestly, Shaq Evans isn't there. Uh, Jordan Williams Lambert is a lot of good things as a receiver, but he isn't a wide receiver. Um, yeah. they, they don't have a lot of speed on offense, even with Kyron Moore in there. Uh, aside him aside, is there anybody whose speed has to really terrify a rival defensive coordinator? No, they don't. I think they actually had a running game on on Sunday after a couple of shaky running plays yeah. to begin. But they opted not to use it, even though the game was close and the, and the, and the score certainly didn't take the Rough Riders out of the running game until until the Nick Dembski touchdown. Um, so they finally get, get a running game where William Powell is doing something, and they completely abandon it. So um, honestly, what I don't know what people expect of Cody Fajardo. You're playing this carnivorous defense, um, and, and, and their defensive ends are playing against a pair of offensive tackles who are both in their first season as a starter in the league. And I don't even think necessarily think that Andrew Lauderdale and, and Cameron Jefferson played that badly. They just have to deal with Willie Jefferson yeah. and Jackson Jeffcoat, and that is not fun. And uh, it's not like Cody Fajardo was was sacked a bunch of times, but he would have to run. He was especially with Willie Jefferson exerting the kind of pressure he was exerting. There were a lot of times when when uh, he just Cody Fajardo had to just escape trouble and get what he could. But you know when when uh, when you call a running play. And and uh, nobody bothers to block Willie Jefferson, and he and he stuffed <laughs> it for a loss of one. What are you going to do? How do you not pay attention to Willie Jefferson on that play? Right? It's just Albert Awachi did not block Willie Jefferson, so he stops William Powell for a loss of one. Things like that, just basic busts. Um, what do you What are you going to do? And that's uh, that's the nature of playing those Winnipeg defensive ends. But the Riders didn't do themselves any favors by not. Um, making sure that they have the kind of personnel on the field or deploying that personnel in a manner that could actually test the Bombers' defense to a greater extent than was the case on Sunday. Because who is there on that offense that's really going to test that Bomber defense? Well, um, to think, yeah. it's, the personnel isn't very good on offense, is it? That's a good point. And Kyron Moore is the only speedster on that offense, I think. And how fast is he? He's fast, but I don't think he's in the league of a lot of the other big-time speedy receivers. And you talk about that, even that pass where he's overthrown. You wonder why he could maybe a little quicker. He gets there. No, but I, 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 that, that was an overthrow. That Kyron was, Moore is that was. I watched that play three times last night. There was. Uh, I'm not sure Jerry Rice gets to that ball. <laughs> maybe Joey Walters does. Well, can we just say one thing? And no, Steeler does. Well, Smith-Schuster does not get to that ball. No, there's not a lot of speed on this. John Stallworth does. Okay, back to. I kind of like the way one, and I know it's different, but Cody stopped and accepted the blame for it, as we expected. He's, he's never accepted the credit, but he said it was on him. You know, he says, he, but which is good to say that that's what Cody's like. He's not he's not going to pass it off and say that the receivers aren't fast enough. Or they, I didn't like the offensive scheme, but I just think that way they got Winnipeg's defense plays. It's just I don't know how they're going how you can beat that defense. I guess with the short passes and the enemy passes didn't work. They don't really like to go deep as much as they used to in last year. So how do you beat that defense? Well, you know, they, they um, it's not that really that they had a disinclination to go deep on Sunday. It's that it didn't work. They tried eight passes that traveled at least 20 yards in the air, and they completed one of them. Whereas whereas Zach Kalaros was three for five in those situations, and one of those, one of those incompletions was a pass that Nick Dembski probably should have caught. 
and, and and if you look at the look at the bombers, they're way more effective overall on deeper routes than the rough riders. Look at that beautiful pass that Zach Kalaro threw to Nick Dembski in the end yeah. zone. Mike Michael Adam had good Mike Adam had good coverage there. He just put the uh, yeah. basically Zach Kalaro's put it in the bucket. But uh, rough riders just they were coming into the game. They were three for twelve for the year on passes that uh, exceeded uh, twenty yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And, uh, and now they're, well, they're four for four for twenty, and wow. uh, and that's not the type of offense that Cody Pajardo led coming out of the gate uh, in uh, in 2019. When that was one of the things that helped establish him as the Rough Riders' starting quarterback, is his proficiency over the top, and that's what they have not been able to do. And at some point, you know, opposing defensive coordinators are going to see that and say, well, almost dare them to beat them over the top, like. With the, with the nature of the Rough Rider passing game and all these short passes and the the lack of a running game or the lack of an inclination to use the running game, just crowd those receivers and don't let them have those quick little plays. And once they were, I think the tone was set for the for the for the game. The Riders' first offensive play, they threw that little quick pass to Braden Lennius and got three yards. <laughs> there was no yards. There weren't any yards after catch. And suddenly, if you're if you're if you're relying on the short passing game to get you the kind of yardage you want on first down and you're not getting it, then you're playing right into the Bombers' hands. And that's what they did. Who would have believed you'd be talking about the Jason Maz offense that way after we put up with the Stephen McAdoo offense last year and the questions about how things are being done. And here's the Jason Maz offense, which is supposed to be aggressive, over the top and all that stuff. And that one game, it showed it's, it can they can be beaten. It can be pushed. So that's kind of it. I never thought we'd, we'd be saying that about well, it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to call into question Jason Moss and his, his – uh, his strategy. Now you also have to call it the question what Jason Moss has to work with, just as you have to look at what Cody Fajardo has to work with, and that does he have the kind of weapons that uh, that an offensive coordinator can use advantageously? But um, how about the word like, when Stephen McAdoo walks the plank after losing 20 to 13 in the West Division final, and after helping develop uh, a first-year starting quarterback into a CFL All-Star and the West Division's most outstanding player, and suddenly that's deemed to be insufficient. And then you bring in Jason Moss. Okay, if Stephen McAdoo is not going to be brought back after they they, they uh, score 13 points and uh, don't score a touchdown, how do you not question the strategy of Jason Moss after they after they register eight points in their second straight touchdown-free game against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? And uh, there's there's a lot there to pick apart. I uh, and yeah, their personnel is deficient. But remember when Matt Dominguez got injured? In 2017, or two, pardon me, 2007, they're without their best receiver, as were the Rough Riders on Sunday, as they've been lately with with Shaq Evans gone. Well, the Riders won a Grey Cup in 2007 without Matt Dominguez, who at the time he was hurt was leading the league in receiving yards, and they worked around it. They won a Grey Cup, even though their starting starting receiving core in the Grey Cup included Michael Palmer, and Corey Grant, and <laughs> Yo Murphy. Right? They had uh, Flick, Fantuz, and hope that Kerry Joseph can run the football. So they made the most of the situation without uh, without uh, their best receiver. Are the Rough Riders able to do that now under Jason Moss? It's very pedestrian, isn't it? I think isn't that a great word to describe that whole thing from Cody, Cody Fajardo's performance right down to the receivers to the running game. It was just not very exciting and not very no. not very productive. Which it's so funny. And it's kind of like they're leading at the end of the first half, eight seven. You know, you kind of yeah. Things, and then Cody had mentioned that too, and we talked about. He was hoping that things would pop, you know, something would go well, right for the right. <laughs> yeah, 
So I'm not know why the uh, why that kept happening, but it didn't happen. Like, but the second half, and especially the third quarter, the Bombers just took over that game. Oh, so I don't. So something is off my computer screen. Sorry about that. Freaking up on uh, that, 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 our, our podcast is now resembling the Rough Rider offense. Sputter, sputter. <laughs> it is kind of weird that that is. Sorry about that, folks. We'll get back on track here. Uh, but the good thing is, may, is it a good thing we get the Banjo Bowl next week? They get to play the same team again. It could be a good. Can that be a good thing? Can that be a bad thing to play the Blue Bombers? Or the Blue Bombers can come out and do the exact same thing to them and be satisfied with a, a low-scoring win? Or do they think the Blue Bombers are try to throw tricks at them, Rob? Well, I would rather this than, than flip the schedule. Suppose the Rough Riders' next game is against Toronto, and then they play Winnipeg. So okay, you get you get manhandled by Winnipeg in your own park, and then you then you beat Toronto. Well, okay, that's nice, right? But yeah. if you can if you can immediately redeem yourselves in Winnipeg, this game's forgotten and it's neutralized, yeah. and you're back okay. in first place again. So uh, uh, or at least tied for it. So um, that's that's the good part. The scary part is if you lose that game even by a point, you can probably pretty much forget first place because you don't play that team again, and your 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 schedule is so road heavy down the second down the yeah. stretch. So if if they want to if they want to finish first, they pretty much got to win this game. And uh, but you've you've certainly got an opportunity for, for redemption. It really is a tall order. Uh, that that the Banjo Bowl has not been kind to them in recent years. And uh, uh, I mean that was that was an, a rare low point in the Rough Rider season in 2019 when yeah. it, when they went in for the, in there for the Banjo Bowl and really didn't do anything. So um, uh, I'm not sure that there's a huge cause for optimism when, when we saw what we just saw on Sunday and you think they're playing that same team and going into that meat grinder once again, that's the tall order. But if you are able to overcome all that, then pretty much everything that we're, t- we're talking about now is rendered moot. I really seem to remember bad things happening to the Riders in the Banjo Bowl. I know the, the Bombers are 9-7 and seven since it got renamed Banjo Bowl. But I just don't have many good memories of going to Winnipeg and watching the Riders play in the Banjo Bowl. Darren Durant getting hurt, blowouts, tight losses and stuff. But it's also going to be interesting. It's their first road trip of this season. And I know that may not have stuff, but it's the first road trip of the season under COVID. And, you know, there's a lot of protocols involved in that and a lot of flying. Like they're doing, you know, they're not going to have a walkthrough in Winnipeg to get used to it. They're going to do all their walkthrough here and then fly to Winnipeg. A little job, which may not sound like a big deal. But some of these guys haven't been to IG Field before, so they have no idea what it's like. They don't know what the what idea the, uh, the what the stadium is conforming like and where they got to go. So it's going to be an adjustment. So going on the road this year is more than just going on the road. I think it's going on the road with COVID, with protocols, with everything that's going along. It's the changes. So I think being on the road is going to be more playing and well on the road is going to be more of a challenge than it normally is for any football team. So the riders, and then they go on the road. With that performance, and they have to put it behind them, and I know they have, by, you know, by the time they practice, it's forgotten the 24-hour rule is in effect, and you just move on to the next game. But, yeah, but that's boy, just think, cliches. That's just cliches. That's football speak. That's not – probably doesn't, doesn't represent the reality of the situation. Well, you don't reality. think what Winnipeg just did to you, then you're probably not approaching the game correctly because that's got to burn at you. Yeah. If you win the game, it's wise to kind of forget it because you get complacent. But if you lose a game like that, I'm not sure the 24-hour rule is a good idea. Make it the 98-hour rule or the 112-hour rule or whatever the math, 122-hour rule. Um, that should that should spur you on. Don't wash it away. Use it to make you make yourself better. And they've got to be so much better 
And and yeah, going on the roads an inconvenience. Well, how much did that hurt the bombers? On given given all the COVID considerations, they they came in here and. Uh, but it's still a consideration, though, Rob. I think I don't. I think we can not overlook it. No, but, but it didn't hurt the bombers, so it shouldn't hurt no. the Rough Riders. Right? Well, I mean, it hurts every team that wins on the road. Like look at Edmonton; they went they went on the road. Yeah. You know, I guess that's my 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 philosophy or my theory doesn't hold a lot of water, but Edmonton played pretty well on the road too, so maybe they can do it. But it's still going to be a bit of an adjustment. It's just so weird. In the middle of September, the first road game. I don't know. We talked about Labor Day being coming up after just three games, but the middle of September. Usually, they've had three, two or three road games by now. Four, just seems five, like five or six. Yeah, yeah. just seems crazy. Like, I think Craig's going to have to do. And the coaches are really going to have to do some incredible coaching down the stretch, and especially as you said, if they lose this banjo ball, they're, they. I don't think. I don't think first place is in their grasp either. I think it's just about we forget. We keep. There's, we know it's a 14-game season, but my brain keeps thinking 18 games. Yeah, you just run out of time really quickly. Yeah, and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, that's a tall order. And, and and then you've got all those road games down the stretch. you got two short weeks back-to-back, which isn't necessarily beneficial. The schedule, schedule gets a lot goofier down the stretch. They, they've come out of it okay. We've got to remember we're talking about a 3 and one foot, three and one football team. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's a pretty commendable performance. I mean, 2007, I referenced that earlier. They were two and two after four games. They're three and one this year. So uh, all is all is not lost. So, but well, they the have it just the urgency is, is heightened when you look at the shortened season. And that's and I think we're overlooking the fact that they came through four games, three and one. And I know. Willie Jefferson says they haven't really played anybody. They haven't played any teams as good as Winnipeg, and that's true. But they still won three or four road game, home games to start off the season. That's that's important. They they could have lost the season by struggling at home early, but they're giving credit for playing three good games at home, decent games, and good in front of good crowds. So yeah, maybe they they did what they had to do at home, almost. But you look at the still, two games. They took at the two games the Riders sold out. In the second half of the two games they sold out, they scored two <laughs> points combined over those two games. Wow. <laughs> so uh, that just that's occurred to crazy. me. That, that's real. I'm going to make that make a note of that for Rob's observations. I'm, I'm really glad we have this podcast so I can come up with this <laughs> pointless observation. Curious for a second while I while I type that into my Rob observations list. That's crazy, Rob. That's a crazy stat, you know. And you know, and I think they play Toronto. They they play Toronto after the Bombers. And other than looking uh, pretty good in those baby blue uniform, in those blue, those uniforms, the bomb the Argos didn't look all that great yesterday. So we'll see what happens with them. Oh, but sorry. you know, you know, I think the what I mean, it's it's you're playing teams that aren't as good as the Bombers, but that's probably that's probably going to be the case for the remainder of the season after they play the Bombers on on Saturday. Yeah. Um, but. The riders have to be very cognizant of the fact that they've they've got some personnel issues right now on offense. And are those are those resolvable until Shaq Evans comes back? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I watched Jamal Morrow return kicks and I see his elusiveness. Like, why don't you incorporate him into the offensive package a little bit? He looks like he might be able to make some people miss and do some things. And William Powell is still a good back, and we saw that in spurts on on Sunday. But I watched well, I watched Andrew Harris run the ball. And I watch watch William Powell run the ball. I don't see any comparison between the two of them in terms of power, and in oh, terms yeah. of just you know, uh, you have to fear Andrew Harris if you're the, if you're the Rough Riders defense. I don't think the uh, an offense a rival defense has to fear a fear a William Powell running attack. But can no. can Jamal Morrow Jamal Morrow give you a bit of a different dimension? He looks to me like he can be a playmaker. 
and there's a real paucity of them on on the Rough Riders if you, if you look at it right now. Who would have thought we'd be talking about the Riders receivers <laughs> when we're all the concerns about the offensive line? You know, yeah. going like this for you know, we, and there's still some concerns about the offensive line, but we kind of thought the Riders were going to be okay at receivers, and if not great, we thought that was going to be a great offense. And now you're saying that holy smokes, like there's issues there, and that's all because of the loss of Shaq Evans. Well, you, you look at the you look at their import receivers, and they have three import slots designated. And uh, Braden Lenius, absolutely start him. You know, Mitch Picton, absolutely. You know, and if he doesn't play, uh, you know, Keon Schaefer Baker look good. So there's they've got some options there. I, I don't mind them starting the two Canadians. But if you look at your three American receivers, Kyran Moore is legit. But um, and I think uh, Jamal, um, pardon me, Jordan Williams Lambert is is has shown what he can do. But he's shown that. As as primarily a as a slot back. So why is he playing wide out? And why does Ricardo Lewis start unexpectedly, perhaps impulsively, instead of Paul McRoberts? Can you explain that? Can you figure that one out? Because I can't. I can't. I have no idea. I thought Paul McRoberts was was automatic to start in the Labor Day Classic. I didn't think there was any doubt that he was there. And then you well, so there there has to be something behind that story. Which unfortunately we never we won't know because Craig Craig Dickinson is pretty frank and candid in his assessment. Even he, when you asked him the other game, he didn't have an answer for it. Other yeah. than Ricardo Lewis, the Bombers had an fact. answer for it. <laughs> it sure did. You know, like then, why, why, why? Like if you're going to just tinker and try and infuse new players into the lineup, you don't do it against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense. No. Honestly, so, so what? What was it that suddenly resulted? in the relegation of Paul McRoberts to the practice roster. It was pretty much left unexplained. The fact that Ricardo Lewis had a better week of practice than Paul McRoberts, that's a pretty <laughs> unconvincing reason. Maybe, yeah. Maybe maybe there's a sign that McRoberts has starred in every, almost every practice we've seen uh, through training camps and stuff. And what happened in the one week between he gets his first start in the, in the Labor Day Classic, I'm not quite sure. But then if it you're going to do that, put him out wide and move Jordan Williams-Lambert yeah. back inside. Well, where do you get Williams-Lambert on the field? How do you get Williams-Lambert on the field if you don't have him at the wide receiver, though? Because you, 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 you move Ricardo Lewis to the uh, to wide receiver and put Jordan Williams-Lambert back at slot back. It's pretty easy to do. How about the effectiveness of Shaq Evans at that spot, though? Is that just because well, he's, good Jordan, he's good at it? Jordan. He's got the speed. To, he's, he can run past people. He's fast. He's, he's, he's good at that position. Uh, Jamal, uh, Jordan Williams Lambert doesn't have the kind of jets that uh, that Shaq Evans does. It's a different, and you know we saw a lot. We saw in 2019 when they now granted he was playing wide side wide out as opposed to the Shaq Evans wide out position. But how much did Jordan Williams Lambert produce uh, in uh, in 2019 when they moved him out wide? Now he had a decent game on on Sunday, but. I think they can, and then there are times that they have him playing as an inside receiver. But why are you, why are you, 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 your your arsenal is depleted as it is. Why are you tinkering then with what with what the the limited resources that you now have? That just that really baffles me. I mean, aside from Kyron Moore and uh, and uh, Jordan Williams Lambert, uh, no no rough rider caught more than two of Cody Pichardo's passes. Yeah, I know. So they caught after those two receivers. Brandon Alexander caught as many of, of Cody Pajardo's passes as did anyone else on the Rough Riders. Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, they, they've just got such a limited arsenal. You only have to worry about two guys. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I don't think you have to worry about the running game very much. Like they've, 
it's to me it's more personnel than anything and you can scheme your way around it you know i think the riders and jason moss did a good job of scheming their way around uh, perceived or actual deficiencies on the offensive line with all the quick passes etc they were able to 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 get away with that against other teams, but you, there's only so much you can do against the defense as formidable as Winnipeg's. But now the onus is on Jason Moss to scheme his way around the Winnipeg defense and yeah. take what he saw on Sunday, give give yourself a virtual week of film study and implementation, and 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 show Winnipeg some looks that they have not seen or those with which with which they cannot contend. If they can do that, bravo to them. And next week's podcast is an entirely different session. <laughs> Yeah, what do we do if they lost two in a row? Eh? That's going to be a whole other dis- debate and discussion. And now, then the debate becomes: Is that they get a home playoff game? That's what they're playing for, yeah. though. Right? And, and and you know, do the composition of the West Division. They're they're still in reasonable shape there. They've got three games against Calgary, and mm-hmm. and, and they they've yet to play Edmonton. And so, um, and and they've already won one game against BC. So, uh, they're they're in pretty decent shape for a home playoff game. That that's totally within as far as you know within their control. But forget first place if they mm-hmm. lose this weekend. They could play they could play way better. They could lose by one point and play a great game, but the first place is gone if uh, if they don't uh, beat Winnipeg, unless something – now, I'm going to throw a qualifier in there. Uh, Zach Kalaros goes down, the bomber season's done. Yeah. So the, maybe the fragility of, of Zach Kalaros has to be factored into any presumptions here. But he certainly has not lived up to the uh, glass house label that was attached to him by many pundits, including this one, uh, for several years. He was so he played tough in that game too. He oh. took a pretty big hit, and then he do those little does a little scrambling moves. And we've touched upon this in the past. He's not the Zach Kolaris we saw play with the Rough Riders. There's not even a resemblance. Yeah, who is this guy? <laughs> and I keep watching going. It's the 2015 so Zach Kolaris. Yeah, I, and I and I watch him being interviewed, and I watch him talking to people, and he's just a whole different guy that was the one that we put up with. And I, I wonder how much he hated it here. And I, hate well, I have, probably I have a theory on that. You Chris acquire, Jones? you have, you acquire. Well, Chris Jones partially. You acquire Zach Kalaros from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You then sign him. You know, you you, you sign him to a new deal that pays him lots and lots of money. And then you come into training camp and say there's an open competition yes. for starting quarterback between Brandon Bridge and Zach Caleros. So right now you've poisoned the whole atmosphere. You're paying him all that mm-hmm. money. You've made the trade for him, and you don't have enough faith in him to say definitively that he's our starting quarterback. You don't you don't publicly profess to be aligned with him in that fashion. And then, then you're, at, you're trying to sell people on the notion that Brandon Bridge is the alternative. And we saw how all that worked in 2018. So you saddle him with that. You saddle him with an offense that's, in, especially in retrospect, clearly incompatible with what he can do. You, you, um, I might have some more observations here. And then at the start of the season, 2017, they had three 1,000-yard receivers. Well, suddenly you enter 2018, and very quickly you have one of those guys left because you, you, you cut Bakari Grant, and you, and, and you moved – uh, Duran Carter, who's the Riders' most outstanding player in 2017, to defense and then cut him. And the Riders' first, Duran Carter's first game back after being moved to defense, and, and Zach Kalaros' first game back after missing some time with an injury, they go to Edmonton. He throws a long touchdown pass to Duran Carter. You think maybe the Riders have a long, have a deep passing game, and they cut Duran Carter. So to mm-hmm. one extent, was was Duron, was Zach Kalaros totally disarmed by the manner in which the Rough Riders approached the 2018 season? And then the manner in which they executed it. And then you look at those numbers and you think, I don't think it's a Zach Kalaro's issue in 20, 2018. I think it's scheme and I think it's from the top down. They just did not 
give him the, the, the opportunity and they did not give him the endorsement that would allow him to thrive here. And now he That's has a, that in Winnipeg and look what's happening. Well, I don't right. know. I remember that training. So many ideas out of this, uh, out of this. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. It's you. I remember that training camp and you kept saying, remember, there's no way Zach Kolaris is, isn't the starting quarterback, but I kept saying the coach kept saying this just to me. And, and we said to him, why? Cause he likes that competition that no one should be comfortable in their positions. Well, I think your quarterback needs to be comfortable in his, his position. And you, and they, you see what happened with Hamilton when they were doing with Mazzoli and Evans, that they were, remember they were at the beginning of training camp too. That was a competition too. So I think that's one yeah. of those things that, one of those things that Chris, I think Chris made a mistake in that one. And, and also Zach just wasn't happy here. And I'm going to yeah. say, hate seems like a shame. I don't blame him. Happy here. And then in 17, in nine, but I, you know, I, I mentioned this. In 19, he came back with a resolve that he was going to, things are going to be different. You know, he had a different coach. He had different, oh, you know, the same offensive coordinator, but he, he was going to be different in Saskatchewan and he only had three plays to really show what he could do and he was done. So maybe that's the way bad luck that sort of stalked him. But I, I agree with you. If Zach gets hurt, I don't know what the Blue Bombers do for a quarterback. Yeah, but and there's no Zach Claro to trade for like there was in 2019. No, and yeah. someone, even someone brought it up in the house. They brought up, everyone said, well, let's trade for quarterback. Let's do all this stuff. Trades are pretty tough to do because I think you still got to go through quarantine right now. Yeah. So, Matt, if they, you're making if a, there's a quarterback, quarterback out there, do you think Ottawa's going to try and want to try and get one? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? And even if they get one, Rob, they're going to have to wait at least two weeks before they can even use them. And so now look at Ottawa's record and where they are. Is it even to their advantage to trade for a quarterback now? Like maybe get Dom Davis in there and get him set up and, and do something that that's something to contribute more than Matt Nichols is right now. Because right now Matt Nichols is just doesn't look like a pro oh. quarterback right now. There's well, some, something wrong with him. Yeah, there's nickels and no dimes the way that passing attack is going. <laughs> I mean, his, his arm is shot. And, uh, yeah. and even, if it, even if it wasn't, what's he got to work with? I mean, we talk oh, about no. the rider receiving core. That receiving core would be welcomed in Ottawa right now. Uh, I'm hard pressed to name a wider an Ottawa Red Blacks receiver. There's like Maybe Daniel Peterman. There's R.J. Harris. There's there's uh, Davis and um, okay. There's Tony, there's Tony Gabriel. There's Whit Tucker. There's Jeff Avery. Guys, Sonopoli, Greg Ellings. It's funny that all the pundits and especially Derek Taylor is always thinking that Ottawa is going to be last, the worst team in the league. And looks like Derek Taylor is going to be bang on about them. They're they're hard to watch. Well, my predictions are always bad, but in 2019, I picked Ottawa to finish below the the Atlantic Schooners in the East Division, and then they won their first two games. I thought, does this make me look foolish? And then they won one of their last fifth, one of their last 16, and uh, and. Dominic Davis was their quarterback for most of that season, and he's their answer after he had five touchdown passes and 14 interceptions in 2019. And now he's going to fix them. Like, yeah. so. so so maybe the Ryder Nation can say things could be a lot worse here. I was kind of wondering, though, know, late in the game, you know, we'll look kind of why they didn't put in Isaac Harker. I know, I know that's Craig's philosophy. Is you play, you're the quarterback you play. You know, there's no sort of. You know, well, fooling around to get guys reps, just garbage time. What does that accomplish, I guess? But Well, there was no reason yeah. to. I mean, yeah, the Riders are down by 15 points, but they got down to the down to the four-yard line and then down to the 13-yard line. And yeah. uh, if they score a touchdown there, get the onside kick and score another touchdown, they win the game. And stranger things have happened oh, on, right. uh, in, in, uh, in, in Canadian football. Stranger things have happened on Labor Day. You know, the winner, I, think the, I think it was in... 87, the Bombers came back from such a deficit late in the game and won. And um, so, 
uh, until you think they're coming back from that one. No, but you've got to you've got to you've got to yeah. take to take that chance with your best guys when you still have that opportunity when it's still mathematically possible. If if uh, let's say the Riders had gotten one more possession after the uh, that uh, they they were unsuccessful down and down deep in in uh, yeah. Winnipeg territory, yeah, by all means bring in Isaac Harker. But as long as there's that opportunity, you 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 go with Cody Fajardo. Uh, that's why you're paying him that money. That's why he's your guy, and it's a disservice to your fans if you take him out when there's still that possibility. You know, three three or four minutes left, you're down by two two possessions. Doesn't look good, especially against that defense. But that's it's not impossible. And so, and and especially on Labor Day weekend when anything can happen. So, but my concern, and the other thing is, that much has been made. I'm rambling here. Much has been made about should Cody Fajardo be running as much as he is. Well, when you consider, if they had a, a full arsenal, then maybe you could say, yeah, just play game manager and distribute the ball and use the weapons around you, et cetera. But when your arsenal is so depleted, and if you're if you're then being very careful about running with Cody Fajardo, you're taking one of your few weapons out of the offense, and it's one fewer bullet that you have in the chamber. Yeah. And, uh, and there aren't many bullets in that chamber right now. So and it's a pretty small chamber. So... I think they've 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 got to use Cody Fajardo in that passion in that fashion because what else do they have right now? They may prove me wrong on Sunday, but uh, maybe they will. But maybe uh, if they do, it's fun next week. But uh, really, uh, I'll be interested to see uh, what they how they uh, what what adjustments they can make. Some make sometimes you lose a game, and it can be galvanizing, and it forces you to take a long hard look at yourself. You self scout a lot more. And uh, and and it's tougher to adjust after a win than a, the loss, and adjustments are certainly warranted here. So, are there some things they can do that they haven't been doing so far, and can there's some different looks that they can show Winnipeg? Because you just you just tear it down to the foundation offensively and start building it back up after what happened last week. Can you imagine saying that a quarterback would a professional quarterback in the CFL would hit two uprights against the same team <laughs> with the same receiver with the same defensive back? Running basically the same pattern at different ends. Same like, stadium. Back to back games against that team. I guess, I don't know. Uh, I, I went same juncture, Virtually the same juncture of the game, you know, within, okay. within the final, you know, minute and seven. Um, you know what it reminded me of? Remember the Riders? Uh, okay, there's a 13th man game in 2019. And then the Riders played Montreal again to open the 2018 season. And what did the Riders get called for? Too many men on the field late in that game. And that, that was a real parallel to... Uh, yeah. to uh, Remember the crowd's reaction to that, too? They went, oh, it was... Oh, weird. I know. It's just... Even it Cody, just, you know, he said he had to laugh. And uh, yeah. really, you have to at that point, you know? You can laugh in the regular season. It's not laughing in the, <laughs> during the... Play, during the, one, the one play that almost takes you to the... Uh, to the play... To the Great Cup game. What, what do you think about the crowd? We're obviously... We're, you know, this is... That's the last game before... Uh, People who aren't fully vaccinated are allowed in the stadium. Um, do you think that? Do you think we saw something? That they were, I think I think it looked pretty. It looked pretty full, but it's hard yeah. to tell now. It's hard to make that measure because so many people stand out by the pill country and they're in the concourses. Like there's lots of empty seats, but that doesn't mean the people aren't in the stadium. Yeah, they just sort of do it. There's, it's a different wa- game watching experience now from when you used to go to the games and sit in the stands, or you sat in your seat and you watched the game. Yeah, now until somebody stood up in front of me during the play. And yeah, I, but now you can go to the games. It's a social thing. It's meeting in Pill Country. It's meeting in the wide concourses. 
it's talking to people in the first like so it's a different style of game and difference going on so sometimes all those empty seats look empty but the people are still in the stadium and I, I think you know Labor Day sells out and I, I I would have to admit and I have no way to measure this there didn't seem to be as many bomber fans as in the past no and, and you, you, that was it was you know usually when the bombers do something it's kind of audible and there wasn't there wasn't no, these that's, huge a really, that's a really good point there wasn't the huge pockets of blue that we get now I walked by and I noticed I didn't Wayne's World which is this uh, right across Kitty Corner from where old, old Mosaic Stadium used to be used to be just packed with bomber fans like every bus would unload them oh, and they'd all go, place. yes and they'd all go in there and party now I would just glance and I, I didn't really get a, a fair assessment but it didn't look as full as it had in the past and I wonder if you know people are the bomber fans you know they, they get to they have to be fully vaxxed to go to their games and they were I think they were uncomfortable coming here to go to this knowing not knowing if the person beside you is vaccinated or not vaccinated and I think that may have had something to do with you know maybe the bomber fans not traveling as much like COVID is still part of our lives, folks. Well, it's, this, is, we, this is, in many ways, March of 2020 all over again. You look at these numbers, and, uh, I mean, it's terrifying when you look at these numbers. And yet, to a, to a degree, we're, we're carrying on like it's business as usual. We're carrying on like it's 2019. Uh, we're partying, partying like it's 1999. And so there's a global pandemic that's in its fourth wave. And this is, it's not even winter yet. And and we have we have a vaccine that some people, for reasons unbeknownst to me, choose not to take, and uh, and the numbers are soaring, and we're just carrying on like, yeah, we're just going to. There's just a whole different feeling. Forging ahead. I don't. I, sorry, go ahead. There's a whole different feeling to this wave. Like, even I'm more comfortable with that. And I know we would talk last week. There was no game, and we said, yeah, but look at the numbers, though. We couldn't have had a game. And now the numbers are just as high. So somehow it had gone down so much and so appreciably by the end of last summer. And now we're in the 300s and 400s again. And no one seems to be panicking. And everybody's like, no, just business as usual. Everything's fine. We're not going to, we're not going to have any restrictions, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's, uh, I went for a walk around the concourse before the game, which I don't ordinarily do uh, unless I, I want to get to walk box. And uh, I love walk box. And um, the uh, a couple of friends of mine were at the game, and I wanted to visit with them. Uh, Ashley Robinson, a former colleague of ours at the Leader Post, she's now visiting. She was visit now living in Winnipeg, and she was in for the game. And uh, Taylor uh, Taylor Rattray of CTV Regina, now t- Taylor Anderson, she just got married. And uh, and uh, Taylor and Ashley went to the game together, so I went to say hi to them. And uh, and I had to go around to the east side, and it took forever to get there because there's so many bottlenecks. Everywhere there's a beer lineup or a beer token lineup. It just creates an absolute traffic jam. And you've got people trying to squeeze inside you. Maybe five, I think you said maybe 5% of the people are wearing masks. That was my observation as well. So we're in a pandemic. Numbers are soaring over the weekend. And people are, are, are trying to squeeze through holes that some running backs wouldn't be able to get through. And people are coming to a dead stop because of these endless beer lines. And, uh, I'm thinking there's a pandemic here. Like, what are the chances that I pass 10, 20, 30 people who have COVID? And I've been double vaxxed, but I'm 57 years old and I have type 2 diabetes. I have an underlying condition and the vaccines aren't, are, are not infallible. So the whole time as I did that lap of the stadium, first to get to, to where Taylor and Ashley were sitting and then to get to the press box, I had to do a full lap. It's just like, did I put my health in danger here? And you're wearing a mask, though. I was wearing a mask, but that put me in the clear minority 
Yeah, it um, was. I mean, it was a clear minority. And, and uh, I really wondered if that was a very silly thing to do. And I made a point of not telling my wife about it, so I hope she doesn't watch the podcast. <laughs> By the way, my dog Why? is – look at my dog. That might oh, actually that's actually kind of obscene. Sorry. That's a great shot. One, one of the things is I'm wondering how many – I'm thinking there's going to be a good contingent of Ryder fans heading to, to the Bombers game because they're fully vaxxed. Because if they weren't fully vaxxed, I don't think the numbers would be – as high, but they're going to their comfort. There's, there's this one woman I know who I don't think she went to the Labor Day game, but she's going to she's going to the uh, banjo ball because yeah. they're fully vaxxed. And then, isn't that something? That's really. And then come September 17th, you've got to be fully vaxxed. And even now we have to we had to wear masks in the press box, and I'm going to that's the longest I've worn a mask for. I've yeah. never been in a position that for my full working day I've had to wear a mask because we all work at home. We all do yeah. things. We're unmasked. Do you think you ever worn a mask that long before? Yeah, because I the WHL bubble or the okay, so, pub. Yeah, I, 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 I became a, a an inveterate watcher of those games, so uh, I wore a mask the whole time there. I went to the Pat scrimmage on Monday afternoon, wore a mask, uh, which is pretty probably good because I'm pretty ugly. But well, I might, uh, some people suggest that I should just keep wearing a mask even after we've forgotten what COVID is. But um, yeah, it's not comfortable. I can't imagine wearing one for an entire work shift. Like, my ears were killing me. For three or four hours. Yeah, like, I brought an extra mask with me just because I was a little concerned about the one I brought, that, how my ears would feel. And they were sore after, which, so I even had more, like, there's so much compassion for the healthcare workers. I can only imagine all the stuff they're wearing oh. and how they go through it. And we're we're sitting there through a four-hour football game. And then, well, it was more than that because we got to write about sports for a living. They save lives. Yeah, and so I can yeah. only imagine what it's so I'm going to have to, as I, as I vowed leaving the stadium, I'm going to have to go look around for a more comfortable mask somehow, because it's it's obviously we're going to be wearing masks for quite a while again. Yeah. At least I am. I'm oh. not planning to ditch my mask for any opportunity, no, just because I, don't, I, don't, I know I can't, as I said before, the vaccine, I know it won't kill me, but I don't want to get sick either, because getting sick doesn't sound like a very fun sickness either. No, my sister had it. Uh, she's still, my sister still has no, has limited taste. Um, uh, I don't mean that. You might say that about Chrisula. In, <laughs> in terms of taste buds, my sister oh. is still, she, she got the, the, it was, it was late last winter and she, my, her entire family got it and she's still dealing with some of the consequences of it. And so, yeah, even if it doesn't uh, kill you, uh, it certainly is something to contend with. And it's just, it's a general health issue. And we still don't know what the long-term effects of this thing are. Yeah. So, uh, but in the meantime, we're just, and I, I'm not saying shut down sports again. It's, I'd be biting the hand that feeds me. But are we just putting bags of our, over our heads and trying to, trying to act like nothing is happening in some cases when, look at these numbers. It's terrifying. And I, I, I wonder if we're going to reach a point where the numbers, if they keep accelerating, make it imperative to go back to some restrictions that would make mass gatherings inadvisable. We're having mass gatherings and there's 400 cases a day. Are those incompatible? I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. I'm just asking the question. And I think it's a fair question to ask considering the the climate right now. Especially we're heading in indoors too now. Like this is an outdoor stadium. It's it's serious, but it's maybe not as serious. But hockey's starting up. The Pats are starting up. University sports are starting up, high school sports, all indoors. So what's going to happen when we go back indoors again and people aren't wearing their masks because they're double that? Well, we have to wear masks now. And I maybe give the city of Regina credit for taking those huge steps and say you got to wear a mask. Yes, that's just good. Isn't it nice to see someone in power actually be proactive in this case? Yeah. 
I'm not going to get partisan again. I'm not a partisan person. I voted for pretty much every credible political party that, that there is provincially and federally. And I make my decisions election to election based upon who I think makes the best case to be elected. So I don't have any political memberships. I don't have any political leanings. Um, but I look at our politicians right now, and are they looking out for our best interests the way they're managing this, this pandemic? Are they looking beyond the polls? Are they looking beyond the possible electoral consequences and, and looking out for the general health of the population? And you just wonder if to what extent political considerations can or should be divorced from the equation right now. And well, maybe we, we, we elect politicians and pay them well to make hard, tough decisions. And are those decisions being made or are they being offloaded? Um, John F. Kennedy said in 1963, writing, and he'd written a book called Profiles in Courage about, uh, about politicians who took stands that were not necessarily popular, but principled. I'm not sure how many of today's politicians would merit a chapter in Profiles in Courage. And, and JFK also said once upon a time, we choose to go to the moon not because it is, is easy, but because it is hard. And there was a willingness to make the hard decisions there. Are we seeing that now? And what if there if it comes to that, to what extent do hard decisions impact the sporting world? If we were got 400, 380, 400 cases a day in, in September, and then we move the sports indoors, honestly, and then our, 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 our vaccine policies enough to get us through football season is if this goes crazy in the fall. This is a tangent I didn't expect to go on, but it's been on my mind since I did that lap of the concourse on Sunday, and it's bugging me. Yeah. Is yeah, that I fair? Exactly I'm just rambling again. Is my weekly rant? I think you've got both. Well, you covered all your bases on that one, Rob. I'm trying to get JFK into a podcast. Well, and also, and uh, maybe I can have a little rant. When we have a federal election in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> that it's yes. not going to prove anything yeah. and stuff, and I'm trying, and I'm, I have to admit, because I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a political, I follow and I vote. I'm never, I always vote. But I'm looking at this federal election going, why are we having this federal election? What is it going to accomplish other than maybe, and I don't know, I think uh, Justin Trudeau was hoping to get a majority out of this. I think we're still going to come out of this. Based on my absolute no knowledge of politics, we're probably going to come out of this another majority government. I, I don't know which side. Minority government. And still minority government. And, minority yeah, and then what have we gained? And why are we, why are we doing this in the midst of a point? But it's, it's another example of well, we just carry on like business as usual in the midst of a pandemic that's escalating. One that we should have by now been able to at least, if not eradicate, at least control. And, uh, and but remember but, uh, months ago, Rob, we were so optimistic. Like just we got our second vaccines. Things were looking really good. They were looking good. Yeah. It just shows a sign of just what this virus is like. It's just so uncontrollable and so unpredictable that people we're still learning what it's like to fight it every day. And till that fight is somehow comes to an end, when I don't know how it's going to come to an end, I don't know. I thought we were there after getting our second vaccines, and now we're going to need a booster shot if we want to travel. Like yeah. I, I talked to a guy at the stadium. He says he's had three already now because he wants to travel. I thought, oh, I never even really, really thought against of getting COVID. the third one. It's a fight against COVID. It's also a fight among segments of society. There's talk of this rally. Uh, uh, at the at the Ryder game before before the Ryder game on September 17th, so and we've seen what's happened with protesters in front of hospitals and and, and things like that. Um, you, you hope the scene outside Mosaic Stadium isn't ugly on September 17th because of this protest. And uh, I mean, honestly, just where all this is going, and it's it's 
yeah, it's not directly applicable to the to the round of realm of sports, but you have to take a, a broader look at it because nothing is is really can can go on independently of factoring COVID into the equation these days. As far as entering the stadium, as far as what might happen outside of the stadium, etc., uh, it just it just it it hits you everywhere. And I just I really wonder what this next winter is going to be like. We've been through a partial winter and a full winter with this, and now the numbers are going haywire in the fall. And what is the effect on sports? Anyway, do you want to move on to sports and wrap her up? I think we should wrap her up uh, before yep. I have any more speeches to deliver. Um, <laughs> and and gotta, the majority of those agree with you. I, I would hope so. I, 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 worry, I generally worry about people who agree with me, but uh, I hope uh, this common sense prevails. Here's right. our traditional extra mandated by Mark Melnichuk, our fine producer. Please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the, the podcast. podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is Stitcher? Like to send us a question, it's on my car radio for some reason. Postmedia.com, and we'll read it on the air. You can follow me on Twitter, at Rob Vanstone, or Murray, at MurrayLP. All right, well, thank you. Podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. <laughs> for Murray McCormick, I'm Rob Vanstone. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for your time today. Take care. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Who-